Lecture Topic Malfuzid of Malina Rashid Ahmed Gangohi These gatherings that take place are for the purpose of reminders. The only object is to remind ourselves, remind one another what is the purpose of our coming into dunya. So the reminder is something that we have to keep doing all the time. There is no end to a reminder. There is nothing new to remind ourselves. The reminder is things which we have repeatedly heard, repeatedly discussed. But Allah Ta'ala puts the barakat in sometimes, that line which you might have heard a hundred times. One incident our Hazrat Rahmatullah used to mention often, Hazrat Mawla Shabbir Ali Sahib Rahmatullah who was the nephew of Hazrat Mawla Shabbir Tanvi Rahmatullah So he had written something in his diary once. He had been advising somebody that person had a smoking habit. So he was advising him that you must give up this habit. It's a very uh, harmful thing. It's something that causes a lot of physical problems, and even spiritual problems. These things are not anything that helps anyone in any way. It causes difficulties in every regard. So he carried on advising him. And for some reason, perhaps after a while he might have started taking count of the number of times he was advising him that, look, this is a very harmful thing. So in any case, he continued advising him and continued advising him and this went on and on and he was keeping count. So every occasion that he would meet him and he would tell him something in this regard, he made a small note of it. Today I advised him one time again. It happened that the hundredth time, over a period of time, when he happened to record the hundredth time, that today was the hundredth time I advised him, that person the next day or whenever it was, he said, that was the time that when you mentioned it, it hit my heart in such a way, that was it, I've given it up for good now. Now there's so many lessons in this. One is, that sometimes it is the talab of the person at that particular time. Prior to it, Sometimes a person is just not giving it the due attention, not giving it the due azmat and importance that what is being said is being said for my benefit, it is a matter of my being. So it is just listened to casually or it is said casually sometimes, listened to casually. As a result that effect doesn't come. Sometimes it's at 50th time that a person listens with that azmat, listens with that talab. Because this talab is the very, very essential thing. For the benefit, to the extent of talab, Allah Ta'ala opens out the way. This is the reason why that one couplet which we have mentioned many times, Rumi Rahmatullah he says, that Aab kam jo, that don't worry about uh, looking for water, Tishna our badast. First create the thirst. 
thirst is a talab. When a person is thirsty, that thirst drives him towards water. So that's the explanation of talab. That there's something that from within drives a person. Hunger, hunger is talab. <coughs> thirst is talab for water. Hunger is talab for food. That talab doesn't allow a person to sit very, very comfortably and wait for something to come, for somebody to bring some water someday, for somebody to probably bring some food from somewhere. He moves in the direction of looking for it. It drives him. And the more the thirst and hunger grows, the more he becomes desperate for it. That is the explanation of talab. So to the extent of talab, of deen, talab of hidayat, talab to gain the closeness of Allah ta'ala, to the extent of talab, to that extent this opens out for a person. Allah ta'ala opens it out to him. So now in the sometimes it happens that that extent of talab which is necessary, which is required for the after the 40th time, the 50th time, Allah knows best, 100th time sometimes, that extent of talab was there, sometimes it hits the heart at that time. Not that it won't be with benefit prior to that, that too will be beneficial. All and anything and everything that is to do with deen is not without benefit. The benefit is there. But the effect would sometimes only hit when the talab has reached that level. So now this person, perhaps it was that, on the hundredth time the talab was there. So now the hundredth time it had an impact on his heart and he practiced on it. The other side of it is that after 99 times also the person still didn't give up hope and still did not stop advising. He continued after 20 times, 30 times, 50 times, 75 times. Very often we didn't even give the necessary advice 2-3 times to our children, to others who we might have some kind of uh, authority over and we become very impatient. We become extremely impatient, hasty, we want to see the action now. Obviously if something is wrong, it has to be addressed, it has to be corrected. If something is lacking, that has to be inculcated. But everything doesn't always happen at the press of a button. And we cannot expect that as we said it, it will happen immediately. How many times things were said to us, it didn't happen in our lives. We took a while before things started sometimes taking a turnaround. So the effort must never stop for one moment. The effort obviously has its various dimensions. But Allah Ta'ala willing, if there is ikhlas in the way it is said, what is being said, what is being said is right, it is being said correctly, it is being said in the right way, with shafqat, with compassion, kindness, love, and then it is filled with ikhlas, inshallah it will have its effect. It must have its effect. Allah Ta'ala will put it. That's the nizam and the system Allah Ta'ala has placed. That a person does something with sincerity, does it in the right way, and what he is doing is right obviously, Allah Ta'ala will put the effect in it. So, in any case, what we are talking about is, that the whole thing is based on talab. So now for the hundredth time also, this person didn't give up hope, he carried on advising, 
And that person Allah knows best when that talab might have really awakened in him and stuck home. So the whole point is that hundred times also wasn't yet old. The reminder continued. Started off on this point of reminder that sometimes that reminder might be the hundredth time that it might take its effect. Very often when we hear something for the second time or maybe for the third time, if you heard it a few more times, then by the seventh, eighth time, as soon as the same thing starts coming, we start switching off. I heard this already. So let me now just, whatever other, some necessary thought that I have to think about something, I'll just get, sort that out in my mind. In the meantime, I'll just catch up in the, what next will come. So as a result, we lost an opportunity of maybe that having had the impact on our heart, which might have made the difference. So in any case, the whole purpose and the object is nothing but reminder. These gatherings are more on an informal level. Generally a talk, a was would have a specific topic that would be discussed. This is something on a more generalized note. Whatever is of need, whatever is of necessity gets discussed. Some things of the Akabir gets read. The whole idea is to bring us to the same purpose, the same object, how we can get closer to Allah Ta'ala, how we can rectify our lives, remove the weaknesses that we have, correct those things, inculcate what we should be inculcating in our lives. So all this comes back to the same point, just the various different aspects sometimes are discussed. So today we have an article here, in the course of the week, on Tuesday, last Tuesday, we had discussed the life of Hazrat Maharashid Ahmad Gangoi, there were some things that were left to discuss but the time had run out so today in this opportunity that we have we were in this masjid so thinking let's continue with some of the important points that couldn't come in due to the time constraints on Tuesday so here there are some sayings of these were people with a very very high people of very high caliber, people with very deep understanding. People who had their gaze on the ayat of the Quran Sharif, the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi the lives of Sahaba the insight and the depth that they had, we perhaps might spend many lifetimes, we might not scratch the surface of what they, where they reached. So that's the reason why we need to learn from their statements, from their teachings. Because their teachings is not something that they take out from their pockets. It's that understanding that Allah Ta'ala blesses to a person of that level of taqwa, that level of understanding, that insight Allah Ta'ala gives him, that he manages to get to the depths of things with that ease where we will take a whole lifetime, we won't get to it. And the true application of the teachings of deen. That is the very important thing to learn from their lives, to learn from their statements, from their teachings. Because that's, that's the essence of it all, the correct application. Otherwise, nowadays, there are all kinds of things carry on in the dunya. And people apply whatever they've just read somewhere without understanding anything, apply it according to their own understanding. They have no idea what is the reality of it. Just quote anything, willy-nilly, anyhow. And just, but that's it. So, this is the reason that we have to 
go back to these people's teachings and we will learn a lot from it. So there's some statements here, some malfuzat. We will just go through a few at random. First malfuz that is here, the statement of the Gangwe Rahmatullah Mujahadat or Riyazat ke baad agar ye baad hasil ho jaye ke humko kuch hasil na hua to bas sab kuch hasil ho gaya. What he's saying is that after a person has engaged himself in tremendous mujahada and tremendous riyazat, spiritual exercises, we haven't even, let alone understood, we haven't even probably heard or read about what kind of mujahadas were really done previously in order to acquire a person's islah, in order to rectify his nafs, to bring that nafs under control, to inculcate the correct qualities and cleanse the heart out of all the incorrect things. What kind of mujahadas used to be made in that time and age? And until recent times, we don't have that physical strength, let alone the mental capacity and let alone other requirements to be able to do any, even a small portion of that. That is why the mashayikh of recent times made things very easy for us. That must do this much too, inshallah, you'll, you'll get somewhere, you'll get there. We'll end up as third class coaches also, but inshallah if we remain attached to that same line of the first class coaches, we'll also get to the same destination. The first class coach will be more comfortable, it will have more luxury in it, it might have, might be a conditioned coach. The third class coach might be a little bit of squeaks and uh, all kinds of noises also sometimes. The comfort might be very much lesser, but the third class coach also reaches the same destination eventually, because it's attached, that's the main thing, it remains attached. If it remains attached, when the first class coach enters the station, it will follow also, it will also get there, it will also enter the same station. So therefore, that's the important thing, that they've made things very simple for us, simplified it tremendously, it's like now food that has been chewed, and we are only asked to just now swallow it. Just swallow it and digest it, that's all we are asked to do. So in any case, this mujahadas in that time and age was really something very, very great, we can't imagine. Just coming to very recent times, recent past, among the personalities of the recent past, Hazrat Mawla Inam al-Hasan, who was the Amir of Tabligh for 27 years, and he passed away around the late 90s, so barely some, we're going 20 years back, 20-25 years back. Hazrat Abdul Hafiz Makki Sahib, once when he was here in Durban, in fact at the, probably at the Madrasa, he was giving a talk on Spingo Beach in the Masjid, Jami Masjid. And he mentioned that, he obviously was talking about some years much prior to that, maybe about, Hazrat Ali was in his 50s at that time. He says he used to come often to Nizamuddin and uh, so he was quite close to him. So one day as he took him, he was going out for a small walk after morning amal. So as they were going around, there was some area which had now been developed, but prior to that, it was like a kind of deserted place just full of trees and so on. So he says they stopped at some point, as he stopped and he said to him, Probably this was now being said as a kind of encouragement, as a kind of lesson, whatever. So he said to him, I for a long, long time used to come here 
and there was some thing that he had, small little thing he had built up in a, somewhere by the trees or whatever, he used to come and make khalwat there and engage in his azkar and tasbihat, in zikr. I said for a long time I had engaged in what used to be called in that time was a very common thing, used to be known as the sawalak tasbih. Sawalak means 125,000. So reciting Ismazad, the name of Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala. The prescriptions used to keep starting off at whatever t- number, 5,000, you go to 10,000 and 20,000. Over time, it used to be built up that a person would make the zikr of the name of Allah Ta'ala 125,000 times. And he says that with the effect of the zikr in the peak winters, that he used to make the zikr for the whole night, to start off late at night and finish off closer to tahajjud time. And the effect, physical effect of it used to be such that in the peak winter, and in peak winter in Delhi is sometimes minus degrees, I used to take a bath with cold water. So I used to pour the water on my head, that water rolling down by the time it reached the feet would be slightly warm because of the heat that has been coming out of the body due to this zikr 125,000 times. Now this was not the only type of mujahada. This was one of the very, of the many types of mujahada. The mujahada in ibadat, in zikr, in tasbihat, in tilawat. Then so many other kinds of mujahadas. Now this is the context in which this is to be understood. That the, we do, mashallah, whatever Allah Ta'ala gives talking some little bit, we feel we have done so much already. As a statement, this is the reason for having gone into this detail, to understand the statement in that context, in the context of that kind of mujahada, and that kind of self-annihilation. People previously used to be gone into the khanqas and so on, somebody would spend six months, somebody spend one year, somebody spend two years, somebody spend more time, and through really great mujahada. So now this is the context in which to understand this statement that Hazrat is saying that after all the mujahadas and all the spiritual exercises that a person has undertaken, after this whole process, if he achieves this much, if he achieves this much, that he realizes that I have achieved nothing, then in reality he has now achieved everything. After all these mujahadas, if a person achieves this much, that truly within himself, he truly feels, I have achieved nothing. I have still gone nowhere. Now he's achieved something. And the other side of it is our condition, that the little sometimes, little bit, and that too, the quality of it, we know what we do. But we feel we've done so much already, so now we can relax, we can be top our guard. That's not the way we should be concerning ourselves. Another malfuz here, kisi tahammul se ziyada apne zimme kaam nalo. These malfuzat relate to all different aspects of life. Anything and everything that will be impacting on a person's life, they would give advice and guidance on that. This is also a very, very pertinent advice. Don't ever take on to one's responsibility anything that's beyond one's capacity. Sometimes out of just because of whatever pressures or something, whatever the other, 
A person just takes on anything and everything. But now what's the outcome of it? He has taken on something that he cannot manage. Some responsibility that he cannot discharge. It is beyond his capacity. So now for that moment he took it. He became the hero also sometimes. MashaAllah, this person just took it on. But now he can't manage it. It's beyond his capacity. So now it becomes a source of taklif for him. Taklif for others also. Because now something that he is not going to be able to fulfill and discharge, others are also going to be affected. And had he expressed his position that, look, this is beyond me, I can't manage this, I'll do so much, beyond that is beyond me. So somebody else would have taken that on. So it wouldn't have caused him taklif, it would have saved others from taklif. Now that is the very important point in it. Sometimes it just appears, well, fine, if I can't manage it, then somebody else will... But at that time now, it's already created a problem. It's already started creating taklif for others. So not to take on some responsibility that is beyond a person's capacity. Then there's a very, very important malfuz which is very famous and very well known. And really if we could digest this, great deal of our problems will all just fizzle out. Hazrat says, Kisi se kisi qisam ki tawakko mat rakho. Kisi se kisi qisam ki tawakko mat rakho. چنانچہ مجھ سے بھی مت رکھو یہ بات دین و دنیا کا گر ہے don't have any expectation from anybody he is the sheikh waqt and sheikh ul mashaykh of the time great personalities of the time were turning to him for their guidance, their islah so he was a universally recognized personality. So what maqam position Allah Ta'ala blessed him with? Now first he gave this advice, but in order to emphasize it, he is now further saying, first he said, don't have any expectation from anybody. Don't ever have any expectation from anyone. And then he says, don't even have any expectation from me also. Don't have any expectation even from me. And then he's saying that this is the secret to many, many issues of the afiyat in deen and dunya. If a person wants to have a peaceful passage through life, then this is the secret to latch on to. Because most of the problems stem out of expectations. A person had certain expectation, that expectation didn't materialize, so it created disappointment. Disappointment. Now, the person got disappointed one time, so now he built up the expectation for the second time. Now the second time the expectation didn't materialize, so now he got disappointed the second time. But now, when these things happen, when there's some kind of emotion, whether that emotion is positive or negative, generally, it will leave some residue. It will leave some kind of something behind if there's a negative experience of some sort with somebody, then after a while things got settled, things got uh, forgiven and forgotten, so to say. But something is left inside. The second time something happens, then it builds on that previous experience. Again things settle, 99%, 90% will go away, 10% will get left somewhere. And every time something like this happens, 5, 10 times, so now it's left 5-5% five, five each time. 
some way it starts building up to a point of explosion again. Now what was the root of it? Expectation. But I expected the person to do this or treat me in that manner. I expected certain kind of consideration. I expected certain privileges. Expected many things. Now that expectation sometimes don't work out. And many a times those expectations are only in our mind. That person doesn't even know what we're expecting out of him. Now that doesn't turn out how we were expecting. Then we deem that our what we were expecting didn't happen. So we regard it as that person now having failed us. Whereas he often doesn't even know what we're expecting. So now when that is the reaction, so then there's disappointment. And disappointment, when it keeps building over disappointment, it starts leading to frustration, starts leading to malice, starts leading to anger. So the root of it was what? Expectation. And if a person doesn't have expectations, he doesn't feel hurt by it, because he didn't expect it. And to emphasize it, he said, don't have expectations for me either. So, this is a very deep thing. It's very, very deep. It's only when a person starts really taking this to heart, that he understands the benefit of it. Because now there's a lot of things just fizzle out right there. Because he didn't expect it. One person, this is a very, maybe easy to understand example. This is something that happened very recently, so that's why it's coming to mind now. One person had put a proposal somewhere. And this is, often we add this footnote to it, that generally the examples that are understood best, examples dealing with food or dealing with marriage. Somehow these examples are very easily understood. So in any case, this person put a proposal somewhere, it didn't work out. So now he was probably expecting it to work out, it didn't work out, so he was feeling disappointed. Then, whatever Allah Ta'ala willed, happened. After a while he proposed somewhere else, that didn't work out. Again, he was obviously disappointed. So obviously, the fact that he's proposed somewhere, he's hoping it works out, and it didn't work out. And eventually, he proposed after a while to the third place. So now when he proposed, so he sent a message to ask for some dua. At the same time, he says that, I've got it in my mind that it's not going to work out. <laughs> so I found it very strange. <laughs> what do you mean? You're proposing somewhere, and you are in your mind it's not going to work out. He says, no, so in case if it doesn't work out, it won't affect me. <laughs> but now this is exactly the point that is being mentioned here. Now obviously this is maybe a little bit of an unusual situation. A person is proposing somewhere, he's hoping, but not hoping. In his mind he's got it, it's not going to happen. Well, this was a kind of now, he's conditioning himself to try and avoid the disappointment probably that he felt previously. And it happened that when he closed his mind to it, Allah Ta'ala would have said that it happened for him. He worked out. So, the lesson in it is that this was became something that he probably didn't even realize what he was doing. But what he was doing was actually conditioning himself to protect himself from that negative impact. One is a person, mashallah, has that level of tafweez and submission to Allah wa ta'ala. The extent to which his aqidah in taqdeer is firm. Then being human, he also gets 
experiences emotion, but he can very quickly put the lid on it. And then just move on without letting that baggage be carried along. He's human. He will also feel emotion. He'll feel pain. He'll feel hurt. He'll feel disappointment. But if that aqidah and taqdeer is very strong, and the tafweez and submission to Allah Ta'ala is firm, and he can easily move on. He won't be weighed down by that baggage of whatever the incident was, whatever the experience was. So this is the aspect about to the extent of a person's expectations, then that is the extent to which these things can have an impact on him. There's one malfuz here, which is a very, very ajib malfuz. It's actually something that he had written to somebody and that is where it has been quoted from. Again here the context is very important to understand the depth of this. This was written at a time when there was a major challenge in Darulum Dioban. This is the mother of the institutions and there were the great luminaries of the time that were all there. And one issue came up. Now, these things happen from time to time. Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. But some people from the people of the town, they had some kind of maybe involvement in some way in the madrasa. So now over time they became more deeply involved. They were people just from the town people. So now they started suddenly becoming very forceful in insisting that there must be some town people included on the board of the madrasa. And they identified some people that these people must now be included on the board, those who now would be part of the decision making and so on. The Nungwi Rahmatullah at that time, he was the rector of the Tarlum. He was the head. He was not based at Dalam Dioban, he was based in Gango, but he was the Sarparast, the rector and the head. And he had the last say in the matters. So he totally refused to accede to this. Now, when something, a person has given his suggestion in some matter, he has given his view, his suggestion, that look, I feel something should be done in this way, then he should have after with ikhlas, with sincerity and with clarity, whatever he wanted to explain, he explained it, he put it forward. The correct thing thereafter is to now, then leave it to those who are responsible for the matter and let them now take the decision. To insist upon one's view and opinion that this is something that I have suggested must happen. This is a very dangerous thing. This has been declared in the Hadith Sharif as among the signs of Qiyamad, that a person becomes uh, very, that he feels his view is it. That's the right thing. That must be accepted. So now when that becomes the mindset, and a person now, he's suggesting something, and he's not being accepted, or he doesn't see it being taken the way he was hoping, then he starts forcing it forward, and then now when that doesn't seem to be still being accepted, now he starts rallying support. 
And then he starts all these other... These things have nothing to do with deen and the way Islam has taught us. Lobbying and trying to garner support for just pushing one's view forward. Now, unfortunately, this is the kind of things that are happening. All these town people identified a few people. These people should be included on the board. And now that was not accepted. So now pressure was being exercised and pushing for it in so many ways and trying to now garner support of the whole town. And now wherever, nowadays they call it rent a crowd, a person wants to make a noise for anything, no matter how ridiculous it might be. He wants to try and sound, make it look like he's got a lot of support for it, he can rent a crowd for that. And they'll come and shout everything, they won't know what they're shouting about to. Afterwards you ask them, what you're shouting for, they have no idea what they're shouting for. Years ago, this was in the early 80s, there was a wide-scale boycott in the schools throughout the country. It was still apartheid time. So, whatever had Lanusberg, whatever the issue was, so there was this wide-scale boycott throughout. Our students would come to school, but remain outside in the, on the grounds and so on, don't attend classes. And then every now and then, now whoever the leaders of that whole boycott were, then they would now arrange a march through the school corridors and everybody shouting, we want justice. So one of the days, one of the teacher, teachers, was, now the teachers will be just standing around and watching this whole drama carrying on and they can do hardly anything about it because now this, so all this was shouting, we want justice. So one day as this march was carrying on, so one teacher pulled one fellow in, he was standing at a class door, classroom door was there, he was standing on the doorway. And one of the fellows who probably was maybe in some way, I don't know, maybe close to him or something. So he pulled his fellow into the doorway and put him, in the, put him into the class. So he asked him, that, you shouting, we want justice, what justice you want? He said, everybody shouting, so I'm also shouting. <laughs> maybe there was a just cause, just something was, somebody had something in their mind. Maybe that was valid, or whatever it was too. But the point is, that the bulk of the people didn't know what they were shouting for. They were shouting, so they are shouting also. So to rent a crowd is very, very easy to shout for anything you want. So any case now, this is what happened. And this rent a crowd kind of situation happened there as well. Allah knows best whether, how it happened. But now the pressure started and the fitna came to such a point that it was feared that this is actually going to result in the closure of the madrasa. Everything will come to a standstill and collapse. Probably at a time for a while, even the lessons had to be stopped because it was becoming quite dangerous. Now in this context, this is the background. In this time and in this background, for the Mahashivali Thanvi Rahmatullahi, a personality of that caliber as well, he too was one of the members of the Shura of Dalun Deoban. So he wrote to the Gangoi Rahmatullahi that these, this, this fitna has now gone to this level that the fear is that the madrasa might close down and all the good that is taking place the talim that is happening the teaching of Quran and Sunnah that is taking place all these things are in a risky situation now Allah forbid all this might come to a standstill and stop completely now these people are insisting that these two people should be included on the board, the two people's name they had identified, and for that this is all this fitna that they are creating. 
These are people who, obviously they don't have ilm, but they will be two among whatever the number was at the time, Allah knows best of the total born, about 12, 10, 12 people. So they will be two out of the 10, 12. The rest are all ulama, the rest are all pious people, the rest are all knowledgeable people. So these people are not going to have any influence on the decisions. The decisions will still obviously be according to the Quran and Sunnah because the Amir and the majority are all people of ilm and piety and taqwa. So just to put this to bed so that this is now over, it will not perhaps cause any harm if these two people are just included on the board. It will just put this whole fitna to rest and it will just cause uh, just save all these problems so therefore this is what comes to my heart and mind that I should suggest that we rather just accept this now this was the background to this particular malfus now, this is not it wasn't a small thing it was a very very big thing to imagine Ummul Madaris of the time and up to now the mother of all these institutions and in this time and this kind of situation came up and can we imagine the pressure on the person right at the top what pressure would be on him to now make the right decision and this is the decision he made that we will not accede to this so now the fear of all this now causing this whole place to probably shut down in response to that he said this what is the purpose of all this? Establishing this madrasa and establishing whatever other activities of deen are happening here and all the work that takes place. Is this the object in itself? That's not the object in itself. The object is Allah Ta'ala must become pleased. Object is not the madrasa, the buildings, whatever is happening, all the activities, anything and everything. The ultimate object is Allah Ta'ala must become pleased. Razai haq baksood hai. Or na ahal ko madrasa ka member banana maasiyad hai. Yo khilaf razai haq hai. And to make such a person include him in this process of the decision making who is not a person who has the well, the capability of it, or the person who is suitable for it, he doesn't have knowledge. He's a person without that knowledge. He's not a person who's fit for this position. So the person who's not fit for that position, to put him in there, this is against the, the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. Because this is masiyat. This is a sin. So, when this will be against the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala, isliye hum apne ikhtiyar se isa nahi karenge. Therefore, our choice, we will not do this. If something happens which is beyond our control, that's beyond our control. But as long as we have some choice in the matter, so right now in other words he's saying that this choice is in my hand to make the decision or not. So I will never make such a decision that include them on. Because that decision is in my control right now. That decision will be sinful. If refraining from that sinful decision will lead to the madrasa closing down, that was never the objective in any case. But I didn't commit a sin. And if Allah Ta'ala rules, it will carry on. So now this was the background to this statement. That our object is not even the madrasa. 
Our object is not even the activities of the madrasa. The object is only the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. So as long as that is going to be achieved, then we will continue. If that's not going to be achieved, there's no point in continuing. So this was the extent of that uh, firasat and that dini intelligence Allah Ta'ala, inside Allah Ta'ala, just him with, and that firmness on deen, that he could take such a decision in such a situation. Allah Ta'ala willed it, a short while later, all this just fizzled out into nothing. And this whole fitna just died off, and all the work continued without any issue, and Alhamdulillah is continuing. But when that tsunami comes, to be able to stand in the midst of that, and still say that this is it, whatever is the dictates of the Quran and Sunnah, that requires that real courage. And this was the kind of personality he was, but the lesson for us in this too, the lesson for us, we are weak, we have tremendous weakness, we don't, can't even compare one iota. But to keep checking, that what is my objective in everything, whatever we do, whether in a, on a domestic note, within our homes, how we deal with things, how we deal with our families, with our children, often sometimes you are doing the right thing, you are doing the right thing, but the motive is wrong. You might be reprimanding somebody, you be reprimanding the wife, reprimanding the children, whatever. But sometimes the motive is just venting anger. The motive is not Islam. The motive got lost in the emotions. So as a result, instead of Islam, iftad takes place. It creates further problems. Because the motive was wrong, the, the objective got derailed somewhere. So that the need of the moment is to first step aside from the emotions. Put the emotions one side. Then to calmly assess the situation. What is the process of Islah in this condition? Under the circumstances that are prevailing here, what is now the first step to take? How to now move it forward? How to take it ahead? So often, that call we might not even be able to make on ourselves. We might require the assistance of somebody else. And that is where the whole importance of mashwara comes in. Sometimes a person makes a decision, but that decision he thought was the right decision. Later on it turns out that that was not the right thing to do. Not the best thing to do. But with mashwara, Many a times the barakat of mashwara, Allah Ta'ala puts something that comes in the heart of the person, the person is taking mashwara from, which makes big things become very small. That's the barakat of mashwara. Because the person took that step in light of the guidance of the Qur'an Sharif, in the sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, taking mashwara. So, this is that very, very deep aspect of always checking, always reflecting. What is my motive? What is the purpose? What is the objective? So something being right is still not sufficient. It's right, mashallah, that is essential. It's essential but not sufficient, not complete yet. What is right must be done for the right motive. Otherwise, that will be just fizzled out in thin air. On Thursday night was the Bukhari Sharif Khatam, Dalum Nomania. So, on that, it's almost Maghrib time, inshallah, we can spend this few minutes first in dua, inshallah, we'll continue after the Maghrib Salah. 
a very important point that just comes to mind on the same note about this objective. Inshallah, we'll continue after Maghrib Salah.